morning. Um, let me start with just some feedback. As you know, last weekend we were away with 20 orphan boys in Winterton. And uh, we were running a pasture fire experience. For those who don't know, pasture fire is a rite of passage event for boys and normally with their dads. But in this case, being orphans, that wasn't possible. And uh, the, the boys came from an orphanage called Sia Jabula and then about 10 others of them uh, came from the, the valley where they were being just housed, homed by families, but don't have any families to speak of. And uh, just the process of getting the event done is a testament in its own because what had actually happened was one of the trustees of Sia Jabula came to see us and said, we've got a problem with the boys at, at the, the orphanage where, um, like a herd of young elephants, there's no bull to get them in order. So they're pushing the boundaries and beyond. And there's no real um, person or people to speak of that are giving these boys an example of behavior and how a, man, a young man should be. So he said, well, can you help? Can you do this? And me and my great wisdom said, yeah, sure, we can do this. Um, only after the meeting to think, okay, how are we going to do this? And uh, I've got Alana here who helps us with the ministry in Nibiru, and Andre, the husband and wife team, the dynamic duo. Um, when this was said, I could see the, the glare and the shaking of the head and you're not thinking kind of look. Um, but us all having faith in, in God's plan in this, we, we, we head down to it and we worked out a budget. And the budget for the event was quite a big one. Because not only did we have to run the event, but we had to prepare ourselves with equipment, backpacks, water bottles, all the stuff that the boys will need, because they have nothing. So the budget was 70,000 rand, which is a large sum of money. And uh, obviously the event to run doesn't cost that much, but the major part of it was setting up. Because if we're going to do this, we need to keep doing it. It needs to be sustainable. We need to, if we're going to speak about having an impact on the lives of young, young boys and young girls, we, we need to take this seriously. So we put it out there and we started talking about it. And we started sharing about it. And I think that was, what, five weeks to go. And slowly but surely, the money started coming in. But it wasn't 200 rand or 500 rand or anything like that. It was people that just grasped what God's heart was for the fatherless. And so the 10,000 rand and the 20,000 rand and the 15,000 rand came in. And three days prior to the event, we had our 70,000 rand. Wow. Talk about God's time. Sure. Um, but the problem was, you know, God is a God of abundance. Um, the money stopped coming in, but the kids didn't. Because we went from nine orphans to 12 to 16 to 22. But we had budgeted and planned for nine. Um, we'd kind of put a contingency thinking maybe 14. So myself and, and Frodo, my, one of the sidekicks, ran off to Mr. Price Sport to go and buy more equipment because that's the quickest way we could get it. And uh, amongst loaning and, and all the rest of it, we, we spent another 3,800 rand for extra sleeping bags. We had enough equipment. And I'm thinking, okay, we didn't budget for this. Made the payment, walked out the door, my phone banged, and I thought, okay, that's for the payment. I looked again, 4,000 rand had just been deposited into our account. So it was the right amount at the right time. And we knew we were in for a fight, because everything seems to go wrong before an event, 
And the greater the fight, the better the event. And so we set off. Because the, the other aspect was transport. Because now we've got 20 kids that we've got to get to the middle of nowhere outside Winterton. And slowly but surely there too, one hand put up, I've got a bus, you can load the bus. Toyota came and said, we've got a bus. And then they didn't have a bus. Um, but they tried. Uh, and then another family said, well, we don't need our bus this weekend. Can you just make sure it's covered from insurance perspective? We can do that. And another two people put their hands up and said, we're coming to help you, and by the way, we'll transport kids. So we managed to get 20, it turned out only 20 arrived, 20 kids to, to, to this campsite called Mseni, Mseni camp, uh, Christian campsite outside Winston below the Stadtfontein Dam, no, Spionkorp Dam. And um, so they arrived in the dark and the event started. And these boys had no idea what was waiting for them. We had briefed them at a pre-weekend meeting, but just a real sense of excitement because I don't think anybody wants to do pass-through fire. He doesn't willingly put his hand up because it is a tough time. I mean, we talk about a rite of passage to lead boys into godly manhood. It's a tough call. We've got to teach our, our sons that manhood comes with great responsibility. And unless you learn to steer that vehicle people get hurt. We're coming up for 14 days of activism against women and child abuse. Why? Because males don't know how to be men. And that's the heart of what we started with, is that who are you as a man? What has God put in you? And uh, the weekend was incredibly blessed. The difficult part for me was, is I'm a white boy. We've got 20 black kids. We've got cultural differences. We've got a language barrier. God blessed us with six, no, eight, eight strong Zulu men who understood God's call in their life and joined it. Uh, took time out of their work and their jobs. Changed shifts. Some of them worked double shifts for a full week to be able to take the extra two days off. But they were there because they understood what God was busy with. And we were there to host while these, these men led these young men into a different place. And the amazing thing is, is that, um, and I'll share photos later um, at another time, but we're on the banks of the Tugela River, and these 20 boys had never swum, never mind swim in a river before. And they, with courage, stepped into the water. And there was something biblical in that, and uh, there was something prophetic in that, but it changed them. We had our team putting kids on their backs to get them there at times, but they did it. And these kids, kids really fought their fear and overcame in a big way. And, uh, of course, it's not all fun and games, and it's not all hard work, but there were a lot of discussions that happened. We discussed sex, self-control, understanding what it means to have courage. But it's interesting that when you leave behind the European-English culture, when you leave behind the Zulu culture, when you leave behind our differences, and you speak and work from the culture of Jesus Christ, what breakthrough it happens. Because it's not me telling someone, it's not you telling someone, it's Jesus who's speaking into the situation in the life. And it just reminds me how that when we lose our culture and choose to seek Jesus, change happens. It's something which I saw when I went uh, two years ago to Hawaii. Understanding there, they weren't 
They weren't black, white, colored, Indonesian, Polynesian, or whatever it was. They were first American, and then they were all that. And when you meet the people in the Christian church, they're first Christians, they're first believers, then they're American. And I just find that that's what's holding us back here, is that we're first black, white, English, Afrikaans, Zulu, and then we're South African. If we can just understand who we are, what our identity is in Jesus Christ, who we are, it changes the game. And I believe that we have 20 young men whose identity is in Christ. Because all 20 recommitted their lives. Not all of them were saved, but they all committed their lives. All 20 understood what it is to be a man in the image, made in the image of God. Which leads into what I'm here for, actually. And um, in my... I just want to start with a verse... Um, which my doesn't want to give it to me. So I'll have to read it in the message version, and it's 1 Peter 1. Oh, there it is. In the amplified version, 1 Peter 1. And start from verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according, impartially judges according to each, other, each one's work, conduct yourselves in reverent fear of him, and with profound respect for him, throughout the time of your stay on earth. For you know that you were not redeemed from your useless, spiritually unproductive way of life, inherited by tradition from your forefathers and perishable things like silver and gold. But you were actually purchased with precious blood, like that of a sacrificial lamb, unblemished and spotless, the priceless blood of Christ. For he was foreordained, foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared publicly in these last times for your sake. And through him, you believe confidently in God, the Heavenly Father, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are centered and rest in God. So I just want to ask you to hold that as an echo through what we're going to be speaking on. And... um, Really what I'd like to get into is allowing God to father us. We've heard so much about fathering. And uh, it's hard to follow on from what's been spoken, but I'm going to give it a bash. And The problem here is that I'm probably the least um, qualified to speak on this. When one speaks of fathering, um, I don't have great experience of being fathered. My experience is having lost my father at age 15. Um, he died from a, an abuse of his own life. Alcohol, smoking. In fact, the very last words that were spoken between us was we were driving to school and he was having a heart attack, pain down his left arm. And we knew the signs. And I said to him, Dad, please, let me drive you to the doctor. I mean, I've been driving since age 11. I was 15. I knew what I was doing. Let me drive you. He says, no, get out the car. I said, please, just, you're having a heart attack. Let, let me drive you to the doctor. So he said, get out of the effing car. So I got out of the car, slammed the door and said, well, you too. That was my last image of fathering. And with that, I have always struggled to be fathered. Because I don't really, or never really knew 
what that looks like. Because when fathering comes about, it always exposes scars. The thing is about scars is they are wounds that have healed. And like the song in Tree 63, they sing about how God turns our scars into medals. And actually they become weapons. Scars become weapons against the enemy. So fathering is unknown to me by nature. And I didn't have much an example to pass on to my children. But I've had 18 years, almost 19 years of learning. And uh, I'd like to believe that we're getting there. But when we speak about God the Father, it's always been like up there. It's not for me because he's there, I'm here. How do we work this out? And uh, God still feels distant as a dad. I struggle to get a feel for it in the flesh because I'm the guy that can't shop online. I want to go to the store and look at it and feel it and turn it over. So you tell me about this God who's my father, but, okay, so where's the beard I can tug? Um, And there's so many speed humps that lie in the way of us getting to this point, of allowing God to father us. I read yesterday that all real and true worship begins with being able to go to God and submit and be his child. That's all true, real worship. So with that said, it's hard for me to worship. Because it's hard to submit without knowing what's on the other side, what is offered. The truth is, God gave his son. And worship is a response to that love. So to break some stuff down, Dad wants to know me, and he wants to know you. And he wants to know us in our knowingness. We call him Father, but do we know God is the Father? What we need is courage. You know, in this world, it's too easy. I, I hear the kids speak. You know, whenever life gets rough, what's the first comment that comes out of the kid's mouth? I'm so over it. I'm sure you've heard that. I'm sure you've said it, some of you. But it's a common thing. I'm over it. It's the, the lack of desire to push through. And what I've learned, one of the greatest attributes of manhood is pushing into your discomfort. Pushing into the difficulty. And since many of us don't have memories associated with running to dad when things get painful, when we have needs, particularly, all because we never had dads or fathers who weren't there. And the truth is, as I said, we are no longer fatherless. Through the son, we have been elevated to sons and daughters of God. His love exceeds all and any examples of fathers we may have and may ever have experienced. In Romans 8, verse 16 to 17, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers in our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Now, of course, that means a lot to me because beloved, my name translated in French is beloved. So he's talking to me. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. 
And I want to speak, I'm probably jumping ahead in the sermon. The one thing that we saw on Sunday with these orphan boys is, while you were praying for us, we were speaking to them about their true identity in Christ. And it started off with questions of, who are you? No, I'm Sipo. No, no. Who are you? And one got it. He said, I'm the son of God. But he said it sheepishly and shyly as of like, is this right and can I really claim it? And I said to him, yes, you're the son of God. And if God has a kingdom, what does that make him? King. And if God is your father because you're the son of God and he's a king, what does that make you? Prince. And the, the faces started to light up. How does a prince behave? How does a princess behave? Is your behavior becoming of your status? The old thing of as we think, so we are. And so we are is our behavior. Growing into God, leaning on Him requires us to open the gates, drop the drawbridge, and let the healing assault our hearts. It involves risking our hearts to the very one who holds them. Ironically, we need to release our hearts to the very one who created them. I mean, if you've got a Casio watch and it's broken, who do you take it to? The Casio guy. You're not going to go take it to the Samsung guy because that just ain't going to work. We need to learn that our earthly fathers may not be present, but our heavenly father is omnipresent. In church sermons, we hear refer to God, that God referred to as Abba, Father, the Daddy. And this denotes our intimacy with him, just as Paul and Jesus had and referred to. But if you read scripture, if you read scripture, it also alludes to something deeper. If you think of when Jesus was baptized, he was about to set out into his ministry. He was about to get real. Okay? It was going to be all war, guns, bullets, the whole lot. And there, John takes him toward him, baptizes him. And as he comes up, it speaks of how the Holy Spirit descended upon him. But it also speaks about how a voice from heaven spoke over him. But if you get into the scripture, and uh, um, not that I'm a theologian or anything, but there's some text that you read, it doesn't speak of a, of a voice from heaven. It speaks about how God parted the atmosphere around Jesus. He parted it. In other words, he brought his presence to him. And he said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It was a passing of the mantle. This is my daughter whom I love. And this whole scripture alludes to an intimacy between God and Jesus, Father and Son. It alludes to how God sees this intimacy as Him knowing us even better than ourselves. It's because he allowed us to meet him in our own way with an intimacy only experienced between creator and created. God looks at us with a joy in what he has created. Psalm 139, when he speaks about, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and 
and wonderfully made. Sons and daughters, we need God. It is in our DNA. We need only look at Jesus' baptism, as I mentioned, to see this. And what happened there in that water was life-altering. It set Jesus up for life. Pun intended. How then would God speak of us since Christ is within us and we are adopted sons and daughters? Because when Jesus came up out of the water and God spoke into him, he spoke into us. Christ within us, the hope of glory. So how does God father us? And a um, bit of my testimony with that is having been unfathered, struggling to work it out from ages 15 to 30, I was the dangerous kind of kid. I was the undercover guy who did everything wrong undercover because I didn't want to disappoint my mother because she was fighting her own demons. And I yearned for words to be spoken over me. I remember every school holiday, I used to go to the farm in Dundee where my uncle stayed. And he was an amazing man. He was the, the opposite, the polar opposite of my father. Where my dad was aggressive, abusive. Um, I never had a hiding, I always got a beating. My, he had two sons. My uncle had two, three daughters. And kindness oozed out of every part of him. And I remember we were at the farm and uh, his family hadn't arrived yet. Moved from afar from, from uh, Dordrecht to, to uh, Vassbank just outside of Dundee. And we, the normally more, normal morning ritual is you'd get up at four. You'd have coffee waiting for the sun to come up while everybody's starting the tractors and things. And then uh, when everybody's ready and out, then we go about the day, come back at 8 o'clock for breakfast, um, go back out, do what needs to be done. Lunchtime, you come back, have a big lunch, siesta, see the rest of the day through in a light supper. So it was this ritual, that sort of program that the farm ran on. And I'm sure, Jackie, you'll identify. Um, but I remember the one morning we woke up early and, I, and I'd learned to make his coffee. So I got, up, I got up just that four minutes earlier so that I could get through to the kitchen to put the kettle on to make his coffee like he liked it so that when he came through, it'd be ready. And me being a selfish teenager at the time, this was unusual. Um, and he would come and he'd sit and we'd watch the lights getting light. We'd drink our coffee, talk about nothing but everything. Um, and I remember the words coming out of his mouth, something to the effect of, my son, won't you? Now, I don't remember what he said. I just... I'd, I just remember the echo of, my son won't you. And it broke me right there. I had to turn around and go do what he asked me to do because I didn't want him to see my tears. Because I yearned for that. My son. Being a son is so, it's huge. Being fathered is amazing. You know, in, in certain uh, um, Arabic beliefs, I don't know which part of the, it's in the Middle East. When you have a son, your name changes. My name's Daryl. If I had a son and his name was John, my name would change to Abu John. Father of John. That becomes my status. I have a son. 
And it's the importance of it. They understood where it lies. I have a father in heaven. And he is amazing. And through my walk with Jesus, now almost 19, 25th of February next year, it'll be 19 years on my birthday. Um, that's another story for another time. But uh, my yearning was to be fathered. And my, my yearning was to understand what happened. It's like, God, you, you say you're the father, so how does that work? Give me a father. And I was expecting this earthly father to come up and say, I'm your dad. But God never does things like we expected. He never does it how we want it. What he did was he put men in my life who would have fathering moments with me. Some of them my age, some of them older. And uh, not to put Jackie on the spot, but there's one of my dads who's had many fathering moments with me, who's often put me in my place. His rod and staff have put me in my place. There's men in my home group There's men on my team with ministry. It's all about having fathering moments where they speak life into me. And what God set it up, but what I had to do is recognize it. Because his word says, you will hear a still quiet voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. And it has always been with kindness that these men have spoken into my life in those areas. And we need to be aware and listen for these things of when there are men and women who speak into our lives. And yes, this is a a church of gray heads. Wow, how many people could we father and mother in this? I can father because I know how not to do it. I have to take that and make it real because God turns all things to the good of those who love him. My life was not a waste in what I went through and how my upbringing was. In fact, as I said, it is now a scar, which is a medal, which is a weapon against the powers and principalities of evil and darkness who seek to rob, steal, and destroy when we should have life and life through Jesus. God is referred to in three ways in the Bible. God the Father, God as Father, and God in fathering. So what I'm talking about now is that God in fathering. We see it in those that speak into us. And in doing pastoral fire for 12 years, I've managed to see some awesome and amazing fathers speak into the lives of their sons and daughters. Because we've got refined by fire as well. And the effect that it has. And it gives me a hope every time we do this. God as father. Let's be honest, it's not all moonshine and roses. Um, he's our God, our dad, and he knows fathering. And it's not about our feelings. We're in a world where it's all about feelings. And it doesn't work. Surprise, surprise. Millennials, get some. It's about truth, love, kindness. It's about our character. One of my greatest wake-up calls is when I got saved, I got into ministry, and this amazing youth ministry that grew from one kid to 100 kids, 120 kids on any given Friday night, and we were rocking. Until one of my own leaders came to me one day and said, Daryl, God doesn't give a damn about your ministry. 
but he gives a whole lot about you. Parenting today all too often fails because feelings and emotions take lead and consequence takes a back seat. There's a few things we need to see about dad. There's a few things we need to recognize in him. He is kind and patient. He dotes over us. Doting takes patience. Doting takes stopping and smelling the roses, seeing the finer details in a person's character. Psalm 103, verse 17. But Lord, your endless love stretches from one eternity to the other, unbroken and unrelenting towards those who fear you and those who bow down, bow face down in awe before you. Your faithfulness to keep every gracious promise you've made passes from parents to children to grandchildren and beyond. How we allow God to parent us and how we parent on will speak into eternity. God is interruptible. I just think of Jesus and his ministry. There wasn't too much intention what he did. He kind of just got interrupted along the way and did the stuff. There was no planning. And there were no cell phones. I, I think of, you know, you go to bras and meetings and there's young kids and, and, and you'll have a dad in, in absolute conversation with someone and the little girl or the little boy comes running up and says, Daddy, and jumps onto his lap. And suddenly this child has that father's full and undivided attention. God is interruptible. There's no appointment required. There's no meeting required. We enter the throne room and approach the throne just as a child runs to its father. Hebrews 4.16 So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned. To receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I'm going to say that again. So we, come, so we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. God is unconditional in his love. Jesus was given up for us. Love is complete, but do we accept it? The sacrifice is done. God gave his son who was fully man up so that we may receive everything that he has for us. The job is done. All that's remained is that we need to accept that it is unconditional and we are loved. Romans 5.8 But Christ proved, proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. God is unwavering even when we mess up badly. Oh my gosh, and do we mess up? The sacrifice is complete. There is no payback. All too often I see parents that parent conditionally. You did this, I will treat you this way. You must pay for this. Romans 8 verse 38 to 39 So now live with the confidence that there's nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love and convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There's nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. So even if I mess up in the future, he's got me. 
There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our God, our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He always works things in our interest. Man, this gets me every time. Because I have a plan. But it isn't his plan. And uh, I've learned, just hold on to it for a while. Let it stew, marinate. Because his plan is a bit different. Romans 8.32 For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for all of us, he certainly won't withhold us from us anything else he has to give. Who is this dad that gives up everything that I can call him father? Everything. He disciples... Disciplines, sorry, disciples, difference. Disciplines putting character ahead of feelings. Character ahead of feelings. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. My child, when the Lord God speaks to you, never take his word lightly. Ouch. And never be upset when he corrects you. We live in a world where everybody's wounded. Or rather, what's the word I'm looking for? Offended. Triggered is the latest word. We've a lot of offended people, a lot of triggered people. God says, my child, when the Lord God speaks to you, never take his words lightly and never be upset with when he corrects you. For the father's discipline comes only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Even when it seems like his correction is harsh, it's still better than any father on earth gives his child. And we need to forget, we need to remember that there's a difference between loving a child and rescuing a child. And when we pray to God, are we praying for him to rescue us or are we praying for him to love us? Because God is the God of the journey, not of the destination. He is in it with us. He wants to see us through it. And that's why I don't like it when these kids say, say I'm over it. It means they're not, they're not ready to push through and do the hard yards. God is always on time, and if we jump the time, he has to fix that, so we don't go there. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is a season, a time appointed for everything, and a time for every delight, a time for every delight, and, and, and event or purpose under heaven. Yeah, I'll leave that one there. He imparts wisdom abundantly, James 1 verse 5, and if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as, as an opportunity to scold you over failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. How many of you are too afraid to ask stupid questions? Yeah. There's no stupid question in God's heart. But sometimes we need to ask for that wisdom. And for me, the wisdom has always come through the voices of those who father me or have fathering moments with me but my ears need to be open to hear it. He offers freedom of choice, always. And he created us for a purpose, but it's our choice to take it up. 
He gave his son for us out of absolute and true love, but it's our choice as to whether we want to accept that gift and accept that he is our father. And he always has my back. Always. John 14 verse 18. I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. I really, really hope that we represented God in some way for those 20 kids. So that they will know that we've come back for them. That he has come back for them. He knows me intimately. Psalm 139, I really think we should read that every day. 1 to 4, Lord, you know everything that there is to know about me. You perceive every moment of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought that before it even enters my mind. So you're intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book, and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. But here's the thing. A father's ultimate goal with his children is for their spiritual transformation and holiness. When we have a relationship with the Father, we are transformed. All other matters pale in comparison to the supreme importance of this one alone. 1 Peter 1, 13-17 So then, prepare your hearts and minds for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you. As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For Scripture says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Since you call Him as your Heavenly Father, the impartial judge who judges according to each one's works, live each day with holy awe and reverence throughout your time on earth. And Hebrews 12 verse 10 says, Our parents corrected us for a short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share in his holiness. The Father's desire is for you to have a relationship with him through Jesus. How this looks is partially up to us as we grow and develop the relationship. When I met SD 27 years ago, we took a few years to figure each other out. I can safely say that now that if she walks into a room, I have a good idea what she's thinking and feeling. But it's taken 27 years of relationship to know that. I can hear by the sound of her voice whether she's happy or sad. I know her desires. I know that she loves me because she loves Jesus more. But it's taken that relationship to know that. We need to build our relationship with God so that he will know us and we will know him. Once we've received God's forgiveness, then we're ready to to fulfill the plan, the rest of his plan, for the rest of our lives. Our destinies will unfold as we obey the prompting and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And with that, God leaves three things that he desires from us. The first is to know God's word. The second is to keep his commandments. Go and make disciples of all men, of all nations. And the third is to be a witness to Christ.
That is, go and make disciples. Sorry, jumped the gun. God's law, the Lord's specific destiny for your life has a twofold nature. It will further his kingdom on earth, and it will transform you. Not only will we grow closer to him and rely on his ability, but we will also discover who we are. The two most important days of our lives are the day we were born and the day we find out why. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Dad, allow us, Father, to have the freedom to call you Dad. Lord, will you reveal what stands in the way? Will you reveal what part of the darkness echoes into our lives that prevents us from seeing you as Father? Lord, we live in a broken world. We're known as the wounded generation. May we have the courage and ability to come to you with those wounds. And Lord, also with the lies that have been spoken of our lives. Lord, may we hold you close. May we step into your lap and feel the roughness of your beard on our faces. May we feel the cloth of your robe and know your closeness. And Father, may you speak away the fears, the tears, May you speak away the wounds that we have. But Lord, that you'll speak life into us. That we may take up the mantle which you've passed on to us. Lord, that cloak that you've put on us. May we take it up and step forward boldly, Lord. So that we can go into the darkness and set the captives free. Ultimately, Lord, that's what you've called us to do. Is to bring your word into the hearts of others. May we have courage. We praise you and worship you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.